you're listening to Dwell on Truth. My name's Brenton Powers, and on today's program, we're going to look at Romans chapter 6, which is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible that has one of the most often quoted verses in the Bible, Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. study through the letter of Paul to the Romans in chapter 6. So let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 6 and begin reading starting in verse 15. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented to your members as slaves for uncleanliness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So in Romans chapter 6, Paul is dealing with the skeptics and with the religious, those who are not yet understanding or accepting the gospel of grace. Didn't we all have this question when we first heard the gospel? When we began to understand about God's forgiving grace, how we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ because he died for us and rose again, and that means that we're not saved by works. When you understand that, then does that mean that it's okay to sin? And Paul's answer is... Certainly not. In no uncertain terms, Paul says the answer is no. He says, God forbid, or certainly not. And he'll explain why not as he continues to develop the theme of the book of Romans, which is the gospel of grace for those who believe. You see, in chapter 1 through 5, we learned about the salvation that comes through the gospel of grace. And in chapter 6, we're learning about the sanctification that comes through the gospel of grace. Not only are we saved from the punishment for our sins by God's grace, but his grace also does a work in our lives that sanctifies us, that makes us holy, that sets us apart from sin, and sets us apart for the things of God. That's what it means to be sanctified. And sanctification is that process. And here's how God sanctifies us, under grace. If we could be sanctified by the law, then we wouldn't have need for grace. But we need God's grace not only to save us, but also to sanctify us. Now, in chapter 6, we've already looked at verse 1 through 14, which answers the question in verse 1. But when we get to verse 15, it looks like a similar question is asked, and Paul begins to answer that question. But I want to read both verses, and we can compare them side by side to see that they're actually two different questions. They're both related to sin, and they're both related to grace. But in the Greek, and in some of our translations, it's clear that these are different questions. In verse 1, he said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? So that's speaking about a habitual sin, continuing in sin after being saved. But verse 15, he asks, 
are we to sin? This is speaking about a non-habitual sin, an occasional sin, sinning now and then from time to time, not as a habit of life, but more as a occasional thing. Is it bad or is it good to sin at all? He clearly answered the question about habitual sin in verse 1 through 14. No, we shall not continue to practice habitual sin if we're under grace. We'll sin less. We won't sin as much as we sinned before. Well, then that leaves the question of verse 15 unanswered. Well, shall we sin at all? Are we to sin once in a while? Is that okay? Is it okay if we just sin a little bit less and make ourselves better people by doing a few good things, even though we're not perfect? Paul's not answering the question, are we going to be perfect? He's asking, are we to sin? And remember what sin means. Sin is defined in the Bible as transgression of God's law. So since we're not under law, here's the full question he asks, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? So the implication is, people will ask, if we're not under the law, then is it a sin to break the law? Because really, I have no relationship with the law anymore. Can I transgress a law that I'm not under? I'm under grace, man. Don't give me any of that law stuff. Maybe you've heard people talk like this. But sin is still sin. Paul's answer to this question is, no, we are not to sin because we are not under law, but under grace. The occasional sin is not as bad as continual sin, but it's still bad. Sin is still sin. Any and all sin is bad. But sin is not just transgression of the law. Bible gives us other definitions of sin. Whoever knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And whatever is not of faith is sin. And sin is lawlessness. Paul said, I would not have known sin but by the law. So the law is still useful. It's helpful. Even though we're not under it, but it's useful for defining what sin is. So we still know that there's a difference between what is sin and what is not sin. And the standard of the law was given by God. God never changes. The law reflects his character. He said, do not lie because he's a God of truth. He does not approve of lying. He said, do not kill because he's the God who gives life and only he has the authority to take it away. He said, honor your father and mother because he is our heavenly father and he is to be honored above all. And he gives us earthly fathers and mothers to reflect our relationship with him. We ought to honor our parents as we honor the Lord. And so on, through all of the commandments that God gave, they reflect his character, which never changes. So nine out of the ten commandments are actually repeated in the New Testament. Paul says in Ephesians, stop lying to one another because you are all members of the same body. Why should one member lie to another? Marriage is honored in the New Testament. Therefore, it reflects our relationship with God as our husband. Husband. The church is the bride of Christ. And so husbands and wives are commanded to love each other and be faithful to each other, to not commit adultery. Are we to commit adultery since we're not under grace? Certainly not. There's not a lessening of the sin when we're under grace. Sin is still sin. What's the difference then? The difference is that God's grace gives us the ability to not sin, whereas the law written on tablets of stone doesn't give us any internal ability to keep it. It only shows us what sin is. But under grace, God writes his laws on our hearts, and he gives us new hearts that are soft and pliable, and he makes us willing to obey him. If we've been born again, we have a new heart with a new nature and new desires, new thoughts, a new purpose, and we're under new management. We're no longer slaves of sin. Sin is no longer our master. We're set free from sin, and now we're under Christ. We're not under the law of Moses, but we are under the law of Christ 
who is full of grace and truth. And his grace not only gives us salvation, but it gives us righteousness. So Paul will illustrate how this works out in this chapter, first of all with illustrations of our new relationship with God. And therefore we have a new relationship with righteousness. And our former relationship with sin has ended. So he changes the atmosphere in which we live under grace. But secondly, Paul will describe how he also changes our identity, who we are and what we are. So if you've been struggling as a Christian with sin, whether it's habitual sin or occasional sin, you're not alone. But Paul here gives us some keys to overcoming the bondage to sin. He wants to show you the keys that they've already unlocked the door so that you can know you can walk out. And he'll encourage you to walk out on sin and walk into a new life, gain spiritual momentum moving forward in your walk with Christ, to which you've already been committed. If you have prayed a prayer of repentance, saying, Lord, I want to turn from my sins and follow you. Jesus, I commit my life to you, or I dedicate my life to you, to serve you from here on out. And this message is for you. So let's continue studying this passage verse by verse, going on now to Romans 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So here is a illustration. Now, some pastors and teachers like to use a lot of illustrations in their sermons. I personally am not that good at illustrations, I'll be honest. I just like to focus on the text and study it and see what it's saying. So when I come to an illustration in the Bible, I'm just going to expound upon it by kind of unpacking this illustration. First, observing Paul's illustration. Second, interpreting what he means to say by it, just getting the plain sense from the passage as it's understood in context. And then thirdly, I'll consider the application. How does this illustration apply to my life? So first, as we observe verse 16, he says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Okay, so here's the interpretation. You know how when you go back to an old job to say hello to the people you used to work with and maybe to say hi to your old boss. He's no longer your boss anymore. But remember, you used to work for him and you used to take his orders and whatever he said, you should do. Because you worked for him. He paid your bills. So it's like slavery. Who am I a slave of? Who am I an employee of? Well, the one that I obey the one that I serve. When you serve somebody or you work for somebody, you're basically their servant. You're making yourself their servant by showing up for work. But say you were to go back to that old boss and say, hey boss or old boss, how are you doing? And he says, good. Hey, I want you to, uh, can you help me with something? Can you help me carry this this box? Put it in my van and, and drive my van across town and deliver it to a certain address. Well, since you're not his employee anymore, you can say, well, actually, no, I don't work for you anymore. Actually, I have a another job, and I only have time to say hello. So, I gotta go now. See ya. You can picture that, right? So you're not making yourself a slave of that employer anymore. Anyway, he didn't pay very good. He just used you, and you worked for free as a slave. Well, it's the same with sin. Sin as an idea, sin as a an essence, is like a slave master or a boss. You can choose to obey the sinful desires that come naturally to your flesh. Sin in you desires to have pleasure in ways that are contrary to the will of God. So you can choose to do the will of God or you can choose 
to do the will of your sin. But if you present yourself to sin as a slave, if you show up to work for sin, then slave's going to become your master again. If you just start using your body for sin, then you're backsliding. You'll be going in the wrong direction when we need to be moving forward in our walk with Christ. There's a law of physics which states that an object in motion tends to stay in motion. So in our Christian life, we need to keep moving forward, serving the Lord, because we've been set free. But we're not free to just sit there and do nothing, because we have the desires of sin that is seeking to pull us back into obedience. See, if you're not busy working for the Lord, then the world, the flesh, and the devil will seek to move you back into slavery. And is that a good thing? Well, in Romans 6.16, Paul continues to say that if we become slaves of sin again, it leads to death. Or we could present ourselves as slaves of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So which is better, death or righteousness? Obviously, righteousness, because without righteousness, we won't inherit the kingdom of God, the Bible says. So don't you know this principle in verse 16? It's speaking about spiritual momentum. You're either moving forward or you're falling back. In Galatians 5:13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So you're set free not to just be still, otherwise you'll find opportunity for sin. But if you move forward and serve the Lord and serve his people, that's what freedom is for. Keep moving forward. You cannot be neutral. Then make that decision to present yourselves to God. Once again, you've already committed your life. Maybe you need to recommit your life to him. Say, Lord, I'm your servant. I gave you my life, but I presented myself to sin to serve it again. But I don't want to do that. I want to serve you. So by your grace, please forgive me. But also by your grace, please accept me as your servant. Enable me to serve you as I present my life to you to be a servant of righteousness. Lord, use me to do good, both for your glory and for the good of others, because it is right. I repent for my sins. I'm sorry for them, I turn away from them, and I reconsider the way that I've lived, wasting too much of my time in habitual sin, and even the occasional sin was terrible. I'm not minimizing that at all. Lord, by your grace, receive me and use me. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Paul has been declaring and defending the gospel of grace. And in chapter 6, he's answered the question, Shall we continue to sin, that grace may abound? And he said, Certainly not. He also began answering the question that we looked at last week in verse 15. Am I to sin because I'm not under law but under grace? And again, the answer is no to sin. So I hope that today you will gain more tools to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to grow in your faith as we study God's Word verse by verse. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 6 and begin reading starting in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That was Romans chapter 6 verse 17. Now let's study it. The study method that we're using is called inductive Bible study and I would strongly encourage you to learn how to study the Bible inductively. That means to pull out of the text what is actually there. To see what it says, what it means, and how it applies to our lives. To chew on it and to absorb it into your life. As David said, 
Your word to my lips is sweet as honey, because God's word is able to nourish you and strengthen you. God's word is good for you, and every verse is inspired and useful, and for the equipping of the man of God, that he may be trained and ready for every good work, useful to the Lord and to others, bearing fruit of righteousness and life. So we should have a good time today, although we're looking at some serious issues. In verse 17 of Romans chapter 6, he says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So our Bible study begins with a verse of thanksgiving. We've looked at some dark things, some depressing things about our sinful nature and about what happens when you when you present your body to sin, to obey its lusts. It leads to death. But in contrast to that, we thank God that we have a second chance, that though we were once slaves of sin, we were changed. Hallelujah. Amen? I don't know about you, but it just feels good to say hallelujah. Why? Because it means praise the Lord. It's an expression of worship, thanksgiving. Why? Because God has done good things for us. We're giving thanks to God. Why in this verse? Because you who have been slaves have been set free. How? Well, it says, because you've been committed to another standard of teaching. You've been committed to that form of doctrine, that standard of teaching, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we thank God that through Jesus Christ, not only can we be set free from sin, but we can become, and we have become, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. If you're a Christian, your heart is to obey the gospel. It's to worship the Lord. It's to honor him and to serve him. You say, Lord, you saved me. You forgave me. You washed me clean. You set me free from sin. Now what can I do for you? How can I serve you and love you and follow you and give you my life? That's my desire. Is that your desire? Now, we may have conflicting desires in our flesh. We want to just relax and enjoy good food and good fun and pleasurable things, but there's also sinful desires. But thank God that we're not slaves of those anymore. We can now be servants of righteousness. So let's keep moving forward, as we talked about last week. Let's thank God that we already have momentum moving forward. We've committed our lives to Him. We've obeyed the gospel when it commanded us to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't yet repented and trusted in Christ, I exhort you, I command you to do it today. Repent from your sin, which means to change your mind about the direction you're going, and turn around. And having reconsidered, you've decided to put your faith and trust in Jesus and let Him lead you on this great adventure in a personal relationship with Him, where He's your Lord, you're His servant, not only His servant, but also His friend. He reveals things to you. He's got a plan for your life and a plan for the world, and he wants you to be a part of it. And he says, go, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. He says, go make disciples, teaching them all things that I've commanded you. And so that's my job. I'm a teacher at Calvary Chapel Bible College. I was a missionary in Latvia for six years, if you'll allow me to be a little autobiographical today. And it's my privilege to teach students in how to evangelize and how to share the gospel and how to make disciples, which is the great commission. It's the great opportunity that the Lord has given us. Since all authority has been given to him, and he's our Lord, our boss, he says, go preach the gospel. And I find that many Christians, most Christians, are afraid to go preach the gospel, as I was myself in the beginning of my walk with the Lord, because I didn't know exactly what the gospel was or how to express it, or I was afraid of being rejected, and then people will reject the Lord. I was afraid of scaring them off, so I thought, better not even start. But no, I realized God has a heart for the lost. He came down from heaven 
heaven to earth, he's, in a sense, a missionary. And his heart is for the multitudes that don't know him. He's the shepherd, and he sees them as lost sheep that he'll come after and pursue. He's the good shepherd that finds the one lost sheep. And if he's changed our heart to make us more like him, then we're going to have a heart for the lost. And so for six years, I was living in Latvia, reaching out to the lost, trying to start a new church from scratch. Meaning, I wasn't going into other churches and inviting them to come join our new church. I was going out into the highways and byways and inviting people who didn't know the Lord to come into a relationship with Him and to come to our Bible studies to grow in that relationship. Sadly, the majority of people who I shared the gospel with had never heard it presented simply and biblically. And so it was hard for them to receive it right away. There were a few people that received it, and a few of them did come to our Bible studies. And they began growing in their relationship with the Lord. And I hope you're growing in your relationship with the Lord as we continue studying the Bible on the radio. But our church wasn't big enough, and there wasn't a need for me to stay there as the senior pastor of our little fellowship. It was better for them that I moved on to Hungary, and they joined Ozoniki Baptist Church, where there's a good pastor and a good fellowship that spoke better Latvian than me and already had a building and had the same heart for teaching through the Word of God. So I encouraged our church, Calvary Latvia, to transition into that church and to become active members, which is what they're doing. Some of them are going on to preach the gospel in the open air. My friend Martin Zelton, preaching in Riga's center the gospel of the grace of God in contrast to the bad news that we've broken God's law. He's doing what I was doing in Latvia, except even more, taking it to the next level with open-air preaching on a regular basis, raising up other people to preach the gospel. We can take the good person test and find out if you're good enough to go to heaven. But I'll tell you a secret. Using God's standard, no one is good enough. That's why we need the grace of God. And so going from the law, which reveals our sin, to the gospel of grace, which reveals how we can be saved. Martin is doing a good job spreading the gospel in Latvia. Although the laborers are still few, I pray that God would raise up even more missionaries from outside of Latvia and within Latvia to go preach the gospel and to make disciples, teaching all things that the Lord has commanded us. And so that is why I'm still on the radio in Latvia, because I still have a heart for this country. And so as I think about the people that have been set free, just as we see in Romans six seventeen, I thank God that they who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, that is the gospel, to which they were committed. I thank God for the fruit of my ministry, but I can't take credit for it. It was fruit that God produced through me, because he gave me a heart to be obedient to his standard of teaching. That's why we're going to continue this broadcast. Even though it is not easy, I set aside time each week to record and edit and publish these teachings online with the hope that you will benefit from them. But there are many of you who are already seeking to improve their knowledge of the Lord and their knowledge of His Word, perhaps even some pastors. And they're realizing, doesn't God's Word teach more than just these same topics over and over again? I mean, if you're in some churches, it seems like all you ever hear about is health and wealth. You know, the name it and claim it gospel, as if Jesus died to make you rich and and healthy and happy. And it's all about getting these things or stuff from the Lord. But no, the gospel is not about that. The gospel is not about happiness. It's about righteousness. It's not about a better life here on earth. It's more about eternal life. 
It's not about getting your will done. It's about God's will. And His ways are higher than our ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So all we need to do to grow in our understanding and in our Christian walk and relationship with God, all we need to do is to pay more attention to what God has said. Because He's laid out for us already in the Scriptures how we are to live the Christian life. So don't believe it when a pastor or teacher says, I have a secret. I have a word from the Lord that's never been revealed to anyone before. Because if it's new, it's not true. But if it's true, then it's not new. God's word is sufficient. It has everything that we need to know in order to be saved and in order to grow in our walk and in order to continue until the end, until we see him again. Quit seeking after so-called prophets who claim to have some secrets that's going to change your life. The secrets are revealed already in the Bible. So I strongly want to encourage you today. I feel the Lord is just putting it on my heart to share personally that you need to be thankful for what God has already done in your life and receive the words that God has already given you in the Bible. His word will endure forever. As for those who claim to be prophets, test what they say. Is it according to the scriptures or are they speaking presumptuously? Perhaps God isn't speaking through them. I dare to say there are some false prophets among you just as there were false prophets among the people of Israel. The Bible warns us of this also in the last days, that people will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God, and they will love false teaching rather than the sound teaching of the scriptures. So if you're a pastor today, I encourage you, if you need resources for what you're going to teach, you have the Bible, don't you? Just start teaching it verse by verse. You can start in Genesis 1-1. Teach that verse this next Sunday and tell your church, You feel led by the Lord to teach His Word, not to teach man's Word. Don't be a puppet or a parrot that just repeats and regurgitates what other pastors say. But be a messenger of the Lord who hears directly from God, who looks objectively to the written Word of God and speaks authoritatively the message of God. Because you know, God's Spirit works through God's Word in the hearts of God's people. So if you're a pastor, or if you know a pastor, encourage him to teach the Bible verse by verse. I'll read it again. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And I'll close with this final exhortation and then a prayer. Have you really been committed to the standard of teaching of God's word? Have you become obedient to the gospel, which commands you to repent and put your trust in Christ and to become his disciple, learning and keeping his word? If you have Thanks be to God, because that's a work of God in your life. If you haven't yet committed your life and done that, but you feel God leading you, God is changing your heart and making you willing to obey Him and be committed to His Word, then I want you to pray this verse back to the Lord. Put it in your own words, though. You could say something like, I thank you, God, that though I was once a slave of sin, I am becoming obedient from my heart to your standard of teaching, and I commit my life to your standard of teaching, which is found in the scriptures as you spoke through the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament. And Jesus, I entrust my life to you and I will preach your word and teach your word alone. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
today we're going to talk about being free from sin and working for the Lord. I want to encourage you who are serving the Lord, keep doing it. Stay faithful. God is faithful and he will reward you. You're listening to Verse by Verse, our weekly English Bible study program, Studying God's Word. This is Brenton Powers. Today, I hope to continue our teaching to the end of Romans chapter 6, but let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 6, and we'll begin reading where we left off last time, in verse 17, and we'll read through the end of the chapter, Romans chapter 6. But to get the context, let's read verses 17 through 23. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time, from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Eternal life. That was Romans 6, verse 17 through 23. But today we're going to just study verse 19 through 22. Four verses. Last week we thanked God for his standard of teaching that we have in the gospel contained in the Old and New Testament as taught by Jesus Christ and his disciples. As Paul's teaching this in this letter to the Romans, we thank God that we can continue verse by verse because we have momentum. We want to keep moving forward, knowing that that's one of the principles for not falling backwards and remembering that we're headed somewhere. Following him leads to righteousness, sanctification, and eternal life. But today's text is super important. So let's continue our verse by verse study in Romans 6 verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. So Paul is explaining he's just used an illustration from human relationships about working for the Lord and being free from sin. Whoever we present ourselves to, to obey, we become that person's slave. Paul understands that we need illustrations to understand. We have human limitations. It's natural, only natural. When you hear someone speaking or you read someone's letter, your brain kind of wonders, especially when we're talking about such spiritual things that you can't really see with your physical eyes or touch with your hands, but they're realities nonetheless. And so there are parallels in the natural world that relate supernatural messages. God has established work and rest all the way from the beginning of time. So Paul uses this illustration of work to illustrate how we should be working for him. And he begins to unpack and explain what the meaning of his previous illustrations were about slaves and masters. What does that all mean? He says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness, leading to sanctification, which is more righteousness. You see, it's all about spiritual momentum in your service and your work. In human terms, we can see as we work our muscles, they're growing step by step, little by little, and we get stronger. Well, don't you know that spiritually the same is true? As we serve the Lord with our spirit, 
our spirit grows in strength, in wisdom, in discernment, in righteousness. Now, when we were spiritually dead, our bodies were slaves of sin. And we just presented our body members, our body parts, our members, as slaves to impurity. And he already made the point. The principle is, if you present yourselves to somebody to work for them, and you follow their commands, you're basically their servant, their slave. So we used to do that. We used to present ourselves to sin. Say, sin, here I am. I'm going to do your will. And we were slaves of sin. But what did that lead us to? Lead us to sin once, to sin again and again. And we were in bondage to sin. We couldn't stop. We just, we were growing our sin muscle, if there was such a thing. We became more sinful. Well, now it should be reversed. If you've repented from your sin, you're not instantly the super saint that God wants you to be. And I still haven't arrived. So I'm preaching to myself too. Let's apply the scriptures to our lives. Paul says in the middle of verse 19, So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. But how do we do that? Present my members. Okay, my hand is a member. Okay, I'm lifting up my hand. Lord, use my hands. There we go. And if the Lord puts something on my heart to do, then the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Lord, use my eyes for your glory to be reading the Bible as much as I should be reading. You know, the more I get into the Bible, the more I want to read the Bible. And if I'm reading the Bible, it's the greatest book on earth, the greatest book in the world. It's the only inspired Word of God. And so as you read the Bible, you're presenting your eyes to God. Also present your heart to God. Lord, I want my heart to beat for the things that you have a heart for. As we talked about last week, give me that heart for the lost. And then my feet, as the Word of God says, we should prepare our feet with the gospel of peace. To me, that speaks about a a readiness to go preach the gospel, to fulfill our ministry of evangelism and discipleship. So, Lord, use me for that. And I'm glad to be here at Calvary Chapel Bible College Europe, where we're all about equipping people to share the gospel and make disciples in the nations. And then Paul says in verse 19, So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, if I'm a slave of righteousness, I'm going to obey what? I'm going to obey righteousness. That's fine. I want to be committed to what is right. That's good. It sure beats the alternative, obeying what is wrong. Sin is a terrible master to have because it brings you bad fruit. But righteousness is a great master to have because it leads to good fruit. And the fruit here is sanctification. Sanctification, we've defined it before, but it basically means holiness or the process by which God sets us apart from sin and from the world and sets us apart to be used for his purposes. That's what holiness means. Have you thought about yourself as a slave of righteousness? If not, you probably haven't experienced the blessings of sanctification. But it really is much better, not only for society, if people are sanctified, but for you personally, in this life, but even more so in the life to come. As he says in verse 22, skipping forward a little bit, Romans six twenty-two. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So we're talking about working for God, being a slave of God. Not that he needs anything, not that we can actually serve and meet any of his needs. We serve him because he's served us. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death on the cross, dying for us, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord of all. Now, if he's Lord and we call upon him as Lord, we should obey him because that word Lord means that we're his slave and he's our master. 
On the last day, Jesus will say to, to many, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Depart from me, you, you workers of iniquity. So yes, we're saved by grace, not according to our works. But he doesn't save us just to leave us in sin. He saves us for good works. And he transforms us and he gives us grace to work under so that we can bear good fruit and do good things because that's much better for the glory of God, for the good of all men, and for our own lives. It's never easy, but it's worth it and it's right. So Paul reminds us not to become slaves of sin again. In verse 20, he says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Meaning, when you're a slave of sin, you couldn't at the same time be a slave of righteousness. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You'll either be devoted to one and despise the other, or you'll love one and hate the other. So what would you like to be freed from? Your sin or from righteousness? As a slave of sin, you can't do anything good. You can't work for God sometimes. You're disqualified. Don't deceive yourselves. God will not be mocked. Those who practice such sins as adultery, homosexuality, murder, drunkenness, lying, stealing, cheating from your employer, you may think you're getting away with it, but you will reap what you sow. So repent and instead begin and continue to serve the living God rather than money or your flesh or your sexual desires or your sinful nature. If you've been born again, you have a new nature. All things have become new. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So we don't have any business or belonging to sin anymore. And there's no benefit to going back to that life. As he says in Romans 6.21, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? You remember doing those shameful things and you hope there's no pictures or video of you doing it? The thing that you wanted to do so much that you knew was wrong, after doing it, you didn't feel satisfied. You only felt ashamed. And the end result of that lifestyle is death. For the end of those things is death, the Bible says. It's not worth it. Don't go on in your sin. Turn around. Go to where you know God wants you to be. Find a good Bible teaching church where you can receive the teaching of the Word of God from the Scriptures, from a pastor that loves you and honors God's Word. And you will begin to honor God's word as well. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You'll no longer be ashamed. You won't be ashamed of your sin because you won't be in sin. And you won't be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation, for you and for all who believe. So now, you Christians, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. And get this, what is the fruit that we get? What is the result or the product of serving God? Here it comes. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Oh, that's so good. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a desire for sanctification, to be made holy, to be set apart for you. I don't want to have anything to do with sin anymore or anything to do with worldliness or its lusts or its passions. But I want to do your will. Thank you for working in our hearts. And we thank you for the gift of eternal life as well that we enjoy as we grow in the knowledge of you. For you are eternal life. And this is eternal life, that we may know the true God. Amen. So now as we end this broadcast at Romans 6.22, leaving Romans 6.23 for next week. Oh, I'm excited about that. But as we end this broadcast, I want to encourage you who are serving the Lord. Keep doing it. Stay faithful. God is faithful and he will reward you. You may not be seeing or experiencing all the fruit of your ministry right now. But don't grow weary in doing good, for you will reap a harvest in due season. Galatians 6, 9. 
And remember, 1 Corinthians 15, that our labor in the Lord is never in vain. And those of you who are preaching or teaching God's word, continue preaching and teaching his word, because his word will not return void. But just as the waters rain down from heaven to earth and do not return there without accomplishing what it was sent for, producing bread for the eater and seed for the sower, so also God's word will not return void or empty. God's word, as it goes out, it will water the soils of people's hearts. It will water the seed and cause growth and cause fruit in their lives. Continue serving the Lord and you will not be ashamed. Not only you will have eternal life, but those who hear you and believe the gospel will also have eternal life. So you're doing important work, being free from sin and working for the Lord. Please continue. We'll study Romans chapter 6, verse 23 which is a very popular verse when sharing the gospel, so I want to expound upon that more. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're listening to Verse by Verse. My name is Brenton Powers, coming to you from CalvaryChapelBibleCollege.com. We're going to study one verse, Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 is a familiar verse for those of us who preach the gospel regularly. We often quote this verse in the context of a short evangelistic conversation because of the clarity of this verse. It makes a powerful point about the difference between the way of life and the way of death. And it corrects our cultural understanding or misunderstanding that if you are a good person, relative to other people, that you can be good enough to go to heaven. This verse also reveals the consequences for our sins and the way to avoid those consequences. It reveals the bad news and the good news, all in one verse. Let me read it so you can understand what I'm talking about. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this verse is very useful. It's very powerful. It's very concise. It says a lot with a few words. This verse is easily understandable. Apart from its context, it's hard to go wrong interpreting this verse, even if you don't know the context of Romans chapter 6. But I don't want to take this verse out of context. And we don't just pick our favorite verses to teach. But there's a reason why we study the Bible verse by verse. The reason is, the more we understand the context, the better we can appreciate each verse and know how to apply each verse. Let's look at this verse in context of the book of Romans, which is an evangelistic conversation between Paul and the Romans. It is a diatribe, if you will. Even though it's written by Paul alone, he inserts common objections and questions that people may have when they hear the gospel. So in context, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, comes after Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 6, verse 22, obviously. So there is a whole lot that needs to be said before we reveal the truth of Romans 6, 23. In other words, when we apply this scripture by sharing it with somebody, this is not the first thing that we should share. Why? Because it won't make sense. For example... When Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, well, how do we know what sin is? Paul has defined sin in earlier chapters. In Romans 1, verse 18, he explains that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. And he goes on to show why the pagan is condemned for believing in idols, or believing there is no God, or giving himself over to sexual immorality. And he lists a whole bunch of sins in Romans 1, verse 28 through 31. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. So he wants his readers to identify, for example, that those are sins. And then he wants his readers to identify that they are sinners, that they in fact have done these things that they recognize are wrong. And then Romans 1.32 says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So the wages of sin is death. Now it makes more sense. He was showing, ultimately, as he gets to his conclusion in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, because everyone has sinned, not only the pagan Gentile, but also the religious Jew. And whether you are pagan, godless, or you try to be a God-fearing person, and you're religious, you go to church, there's no difference, as far as God is concerned, when he looks at your works, all people fall under the this category of guilty and therefore condemned by their works. As our verse for the day says, the wages of sin is death. Have you sinned? Well, then your wages, what you've earned, what is paid out to you after your works is death. Death. At this point, we don't like to think about our death, and we don't like to think about what may happen after our death if we're judged according to our sin. Because the Bible talks about an eternal death, the second death. After you die physically, there will be a judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for a man to die once, and after this, the judgment. And the end of our Bible says that at the judgment, all of us will stand before God. Revelation 20 verse 12 and following. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. That was verse 12. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Notice the repetition there. Judged according to what you have done. That's a scary thought if you realize that you're a sinner and what you've done is deserving of God's wrath. What is the consequences? It doesn't stop with your physical death. Notice verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. My friends, you don't want to be thrown into the lake of fire, do you? Because the lake of fire is described in Revelation 20, verse 10, as being the place where the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire with sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Tormented. Everybody who goes to hell, the lake of fire, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That means this place is eternal. You will be conscious and you will hate it there. 
Jesus said, In hell, you can't have one drop of water to cool your tongue in the scorching heat. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible says, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Paul also describes this eternal punishment in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. But we also see, as we're looking at these verses that describe the eternal place of death, we see that there's an exception. Yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, therefore we all deserve to go to hell. But there are some who are exempt from going to hell. Why? Because they do know God, and they have obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Their names have been written in the book of life. How does that happen? How do you get to be saved from hell and be given access into heaven when you die. My friends, this is the good news of the gospel. And our verse for today, Romans 6, 23, tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's a way to get the free gift, what we don't deserve, what we didn't earn. And that is, in Christ Jesus, if we've received him as Lord and Savior, entrusting our futures to him, then he gives us a gift. We don't have to work for it. It's free, the free gift. How do you get a gift? You just receive it. Hold out your hands and say, can I have that? Is that for me? Well, if you believe in Jesus, that he is the Son of God and God the Son, who came down from heaven to earth, not to condemn the world because the world was already condemned, but he came to save the world, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So now you have a choice to either receive the free gift or to reject it. Now, why in the world would someone want to reject the free gift of eternal life? Well, John 3 also tells us, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the law and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So people don't want to admit that they've done evil. They don't want to admit that they're a sinner, that they're so bad that they deserve to be condemned. They would rather hold on to the lie that they're a good person, that they really don't deserve any judgment from God, and they're against a God who has a right to judge them because they're wrong and they're unwilling to humble themselves that they may be saved. Oh, it's so foolish. Psalms 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Because if God judges us according to our works, then we have earned death. But the good news of the gospel is that God in his wisdom, in his compassion, and in his righteousness has made a perfect way for sinners to be saved. So again, let's expound more on our verse, Romans 6.23, the second part that says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life. How long is that? It's eternal. It's forever. There is no end. And what is it? Is it death? No, it's life. It's abundance. It's experiencing God's grace and peace and love and truth and joy, experiencing his presence, enjoying him and glorifying him for all that he is. 
We will see God if we have eternal life. That's what he wants to give us. Have you received God's free gift? He offers it to the world. In order to receive God's free gift, you need to first admit that you have sinned and deserve death. And then ask for what you don't deserve, what you haven't earned, and that is eternal life. And receive it by receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. Later in Romans, Paul will say, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's a promise. Call upon the Lord. Say, Jesus, be my Lord. Lord Jesus. And then tell him what you believe. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe in you there is a gift of eternal life. I want to receive you. Ask him to give you assurance that you have been given eternal life. I confess I've sinned against you. But thank you for dying for my sins. You took the wages for my sin so that I could receive the gift of your righteousness. I receive your righteousness by believing in you. I trust in you. Ask him to change your life here on earth because you're not just coming to him to have a savior, but you're making him Lord of your life. You're getting off the throne of your life and you're giving him control. If you're not ready to do that, then please reconsider your life, and where you're headed. God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. It's true. He died for you. And all you have to do is call upon him with faith in your heart. Do you believe? Then what's stopping you from calling upon him? You've heard the gospel. You understand the consequences for your sin and the results of receiving Christ. So receive him today before it's too late. You don't know when you're going to die. Why put it off until it's too late? I hope that you do receive Jesus and that we'll see each other in heaven. My greatest desire for this radio show is that those who have not yet received the truth of the gospel and the saving power of Jesus will receive it. So I will pray for you and I will pray that more will come to the saving faith, faith in Jesus, faith in God's word, according to the scriptures, the Bible. And that's why we'll continue our study through the letter of Paul to the Romans in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. So if you'd like more information and to download more of these episodes, you can go to the podcast Dwell on Truth in any podcast player, Spotify, Apple, Google. So we want to serve you and encourage you to serve the Lord because he is worthy. And if you realize today that you're under law, destined for the wages of sin, which is death, and you want the free gift of God, which is eternal life, then I encourage you to turn to find that eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Receive him as your Lord and your Savior, and you will be set free from the wages of sin, and you will receive the free gift of eternal life. So thank you so much for listening. If you would like to write any comments, questions, or just to get in contact with me, you can go to dwellontruth.org and submit a comment or find my phone number or email. I pray that God blesses you as you continue to dwell on truth.